This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 57. Today on our show, world-renowned illustrator and Cincinnati native, C.F. Payne. I mean, everybody talks about the Time Magazine, you know, cover. Okay, you, you know, you, do you want to do the job? Yeah, there's a long line of people who want to do that job. Well, here's a little spot illustration that's going to go in the corner of a newspaper article. They're only going to pay you 200 bucks for it. What's the line for that? Not a very long line for it. Well, I was getting started. I said, do I want to stand in the long line or do I want to stand in the short lines? You've seen his work in Time, Sports Illustrated, Rolling Stone, Mad Magazine, Reader's Digest, and more. Now C.F. Payne joins us on the Cincy Shirts podcast to discuss his work with those publications, making a living as an illustrator in the digital age, and what it takes to become great at something. Be sure to listen to the promo code at the end of the episode, of course. As always, you can save 20% with that on your next Cincy Shirts or OldSchoolShirts.com order. So let's talk to C.F. Payne. Cincinnati, she came down from Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at Cincy Shirts.com in Cincinnati. Wyoming Cowboys. Oh, okay, I thought maybe that was Walt Sitting first. No, no, this is Wyoming Cowboys. <laughs> we won the state this year. Did you? Wyoming Cowboys won the state in their division. Hey, and they smoked them. It was like forty-one to fourteen. So yeah, thanks for coming. This is awesome. And uh, so we have PF, and we have CF. So this is definitely weird. I feel like <laughs> the uh, remember when Dave Letterman uh, hosted the Oscars? Oh yeah, with uh, Uma. Oprah, Oprah, Uma. I don't know if anyone thought that was funny back in the day or not, but that's something I, I remember from from then. So I feel like, yeah, CF, PF, PF, CF. That's great. We'll open our we'll open our own Chang restaurant. There you yeah. go. <laughs> CF Changs. That's great. So yeah, so we uh, we go back a little ways. Yeah. Before the Cincy Shirts days, I remember. Uh, I was at Art Academy, yeah, probably 2000, 2001, and uh, Gabe Utasi yep. was doing some work for you. Yep, Gabe um, was helping. Yeah, well, I I got a computer, and I don't know anything about computers, and I still don't make art on a computer. I mean, I'll with my teaching, I'll stick somebody's artwork on the computer and kind of play around with it in Photoshop to, for corrections, but I don't make art on it, so... This is the first time I had a computer. I didn't know anything about them. Still don't know much about them. Don't want to know much about them. But so Gabe would come over and show me some things on the computer, help me scan a bunch of artwork because we were scanning artwork of mine yeah. and creating files and things like that just for storage and, you know, yeah. kind of getting things set up. And so, so he's he like was just little, helping out. Little, and then little gopher. He was, well, and then. I would show him some technical things, and he would do some things that we would critique. He did even modeling for me because, you know, remember when you started with me, yeah. what was my big thing with you was reference, get good, reference, got to have pictures, get stuff to look at to help you make what you want. And totally. so, you mean you don't make that stuff up? I thought it was just all in your head. 
Like uh, I, I don't have that eidetic memory. There's a few people, from what I understand, that have that kind of photographic memory. I mean, you see that. I remember seeing that program of that little kid. I don't know. He's maybe like 12 years old. Could be looking out the window of like a 12-story building of a city and look at it for like a couple minutes and then go back someplace else and draw the whole thing out, every single building. Wow. Right. But I don't think he can drive a car. I don't think he can <laughs> talk to anybody. You know, make toast. I don't think he knows how to open a cu- jar of peanut butter. But but he, he found can do that. Skill. He can do that. That's but, awesome. So so yes, yeah, so I remember hearing that Gabe uh, Gabe was gonna you know take off to yeah. college somewhere. So I, was, I talked to you. I was like, hey, let me be the new Gabe. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I so I got the chance to go up uh, at the time you're living in Evendale and yep. hang out in your studio and. I think I answered some phones and scanned artwork and uh, cut mats. Yep, cut mats. I wasn't the, I wasn't good at anything back then. Look at it. I remember even like uh, you'd be like, "Yeah, you know, you got to take this down to the mail, uh, the post office." And this is this is before Waze or you know, I didn't have a navigation back then. I didn't know Northern Cincinnati for crap. So you'd be like, "Yeah, go down to the post office here and there." And be like, "Okay, cool, right down the street." I ended up getting lost, driving around for like an hour and a half, trying to find my way back. You're probably like, "What it the was heck like three is this turns. kid doing?" It was like three turns. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I couldn't couldn't compute that. You know, back in the day, I, w- I went to art academy for, uh, I guess, fine art, but commercial art, illustration, right. graphic design, whatnot. Um, school was good. I mean, you know, art school is kind of you get what you put into it. Kind of, of thing, absolutely. Uh, whatever your efforts are and all that stuff, they're going to pass you regardless. You're not going to flunk art school because, let's face it, we've seen some of the. No, you can flunk stuff. art school, but you have yeah. to make it an effort. <laughs> an effort. Uh, the, I mean, like I say, it, I would tell the students, it's you have to have an effort and put in an effort to get an A. Equally, you have to put in an effort to get an F. Yeah, you got to sit down and say, "I am going to mess this up." This is not right. <laughs> that, that, that. That takes an effort. You're right. I believe it. But anyway, so yeah, so I would. I was uh, waiting tables in Montgomery Inn that night, and then basically painting in my apartment all day, whatever, and then uh, hanging out with you once a week. So I would, you know, bring in whatever paintings, random thoughts I had in my head and come in and show them to you. And, uh, you know, I was used to Art Academy where it's like, oh, wow, you know, hey, that's that's pretty good. That's all right. You got something going. And, man, you were just so blunt and just, uh, okay, we really, think I really need blunt. to work on your drawing. You really, really, uh, I'm not showing, I'm not seeing where you even know how to draw at all. And this and that, and this is... But anyways, like that—that that was the kind of criticism I needed at the time because, like I said, it's like you know you, you have uh, people blowing smoke for four years, and uh, especially in commercial art, like that's what you need is that thick skin. You have to realize that hey, not everything I churn out is gonna be gonna be perfect. So anyway, that's what I, I remember from uh, from our days. But then also, by that point, you you were established. You had you had made it. You know, you you were well. I'd be careful. You were how doing. You, that you were doing a lot of. Uh, I was busy. Yeah, which but is all you care about. You've done busy. stuff. Time Magazine, back, back cover, Reader's Digest, Mad Magazine. Yeah. What? Uh, are there any clients bigger than that in the industry? I mean. Well, I mean, a lot of publishing at that time, and that's when publishing was really going. I mean, um, print was in, and so everybody was getting their news through that. And Time Magazine was kind of the 
the jewel of the crown there, Sports Illustrated in the sports industry and the humor. Mad Magazine was the jewel in the crown. Yeah. And so I, I got opportunities through them. But just like any, anything else, you know, I mean, people see it when you're doing that and they think it's all, you know, sugar and cream and everything's nice, but they don't realize, you know, I graduated from college like in, what, 1976? And we're talking about doing those jobs in 2000, 2000. So that was 25 years. So it was a lot of years of doing the nuts and bolts stuff yeah. behind the scenes that people don't know about that you evolve into. And so it takes time. And that's a hard thing. And that was one of the things I was trying to get you to understand. It's just you got to build up a, a kind of a work pattern and get your methodology down and then work. And then just make art. Yeah. But if you're making art and you're not doing it with the proper methodologies, you're spinning your wheels. It's you're kind of like got a wheel in the ditch, so to speak. Yeah. But man, you were hustling though. It's like, you know, you, you, you made it. So, but you weren't kicking it by any means. I mean, I remember you, you were pulling all nighters, uh, like for that, uh, the, the time magazine man of the year was it George Bush or Obama that, well, I did one back in the day when when Bush was president. They did not use it. That's they ended, okay. They ended up using a. I did a, a Bush Cheney one that was when he was president, and that was the year they ended up giving the Man of the Year to the American Soldier. That's right. Yeah. So, so I, I remember you spent all this time up all night going back and forth with uh, art director in New York. Put out this amazing piece. And uh, then they don't even end up running it. No, and that's <laughs> even. Well, and, you and got paid, but, yeah, but still. Yeah. Well, no <laughs> doubt. I mean, and that was one of my jokes that I had with the art director at, at Time. I said, uh, you know, because usually, I mean, fortunately, Time did. You got the full, you got the full fee if it didn't run. But I've said, you know, one of the reasons we want to do this is because we want our artwork on the cover of Time magazine. It. it People see it, we get more work from it, so it becomes valuable in that sense. The fact that you didn't do it, I didn't get that either. So I should get paid double when you don't pay me, shouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. They didn't go for that? He said, nice try, nice try. <laughs> so what did you do for Mad Magazine? That's I did about six, five or six covers, six or seven covers, somewhere wow. in that area. And what, what era are we talking uh, most of them were in the, in the 90s and maybe early 2000s. Okay, so after my time, but still. I did one. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Uh, okay. Howard Stern marrying Dennis Rodman. Oh, nice. I did one with the Olympics uh, in Atlanta where Alfred E. is carrying a torch. Oh, yeah. And he's setting the, everything on fire. <laughs> um, I did one of Madonna, you know, and, you know, getting the sonogram. And oh, Alfred yeah. is the baby. So they just give you pictures of Alfred E. Newman, or uh, I yeah, mean, well, you, do they give you like a sticker you put on? Because it's like everybody nails it. Everybody, well, you have it. I mean, I, mean, I guess that that's your job. Well, I mean, everybody, right. you do have it, and it's it's been around. I mean, Norman Mingo, who was the king, and Kelly Freese, those were the two studs <laughs> of Mad Magazine all the time I was growing up. Those were the two main guys. Yeah. Uh, and Alfred E. Newman actually goes farther back. I mean, his his image goes back to, like, the 1890s and was, like, in an advertisement, I think, for a dentist. Really? And that's why he had the tooth pulled out, and it's, and the head tagline was, you know, I didn't feel anything, you know, or I, you know, it was painless. It was painless. Was he a real person, or was he? I don't think. I think it was a conglomeration somebody? of some faces. But somebody did this thing. You can find images of him 
going back to the 1890s. Like if you go down to McSorley's Tavern in New York, down near um, Astor Place, down that area, you go in the bar and they've got all these pictures up and bunch of them are those old 1890s images of Alfred E. Newman. So when the 50s or 60s, when uh, Mad decides to use him as, his, as their mascot, they just decided, this is a funny looking... Yeah, I don't know exactly the, the, the total iteration of how that all totally came about, but yeah, Mad was, you know, came about because, you know, they shut down all the other EC comics. Yeah. Through the Senate hearings, of, right, right, you know, because of violence and yeah, they sort had of that, content. Yeah, they had that. well, they had the they had they had the whole comic series that was all frightening and scary tales and things of that nature, and so they came up with this thing of like the the film industry did a code of ethics of comics, and so they couldn't figure out how to get around that, and so they said, well, if we can't scare them, let's make people laugh. And they converted it from a comic book and called it a magazine. So it went from a comic, I mean, from the scary stuff. But they used a lot of the same artists, you know, yeah. uh, Harvey Kurtzman and Jack Davis and a lot of those real legends of comic industry were part of it. And that was all started by uh, Bill Gaines, whose father uh, was really one of the real pioneers of the comic book industry, even long before him. And so take us back... Uh like you said, you graduated in the 70s, uh, yeah. so you're just a lonely artist roaming the countryside. Like, uh, not, how, how do you go from there to here? Well, not quite. You know, one of the fortunate things, because in the 70s, uh, it's a double-edged sword. You say, this is one of the nice things about the 70s, was the fact there wasn't a thing called the Internet. There wasn't a thing called Federal Express. There wasn't a thing really called fax machines, per se. They were sophisticated enough to transfer imagery. So... Every relatively large community had an arts community. Cincinnati had art studios that serviced clients in the Cincinnati area. And, and uh, I mean, tons of artists in Cincinnati and studios service places like P&G and the other industries that were in this area. And, and so when I got done with college, I went to a workshop up in New York because I really didn't fully understand everything I needed to know about illustration, so I went to the workshop up in New York, up in New York. That was Mark English, Bernie Fuchs, Alan Colbert, Bob Peake, Bob Heindel, and Fred Otnes. And those are oh, names wow. that those are names that a lot of your listeners won't know. But yeah, they would Google know, them. Google everybody. But they, Google but, CF Payne images too while you're listening to this well, too. Well, I mean, like if you look up Bob Peake, Bob Peake was P E A K. Bob Peake was kind of the king of the movie poster industry in the 60s. He did Camelot. He did My Fair Lady. He did Superman, Star Trek, uh, Apocalypse Now. I mean, he was the, oh, wow. he was the bomb in in the movie poster industry back in the day where he got paid an enormous amount of money for these movie posters. Look Bob Peake, Bob Peake, Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> And so tons, oh, they wow. got paid big money back in those days. Oh, he did tons. Oh, yeah, he was the king he of it. He did motion picture. Oh, yeah. He did uh, That's Voyage Home. He did... Uh, he Raph did. the Con, fellow Trekkers, check this yeah. out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> if you can. He even did, uh, what was it, was that Every Which Way You Can, or whatever was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, with Clint Eastwood and the, the, the orangutan. Yeah, 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 he did that. He did, uh, I mean, tons and tons of stuff. And, of course... Bernie Fuchs, who was did tons of things for Sports Illustrated, and he's he's a legendary illustrator. Mark uh, English, yeah. who is st still producing 
incredible work today as, as a fine artist. Mark is, is just killing it. Anyway, I went to that workshop, and afterwards... So uh, was that the Illustration Academy no, back then? Or no, that's it was, what called, became it was that? called the Illustrator's Workshop back then. Okay. The Illustration Academy is not so much a spinoff. It was just uh, Mark's son, John, wanted to do something similar, too. He liked that idea and felt that that a lot of, like you said, a lot of art schools are good about teaching art to fine artists, but they're not really good necessarily at teaching all the mechanics and all the things that you have to understand to be yeah. a, a good illustrator. Making a client happy. Well, and it's and it really is the foundation because illustration, remember, when it, in the 70s, everybody who was going into art school, they were it was very much dominated by abstract expressionism and non-objective art. So it was all the artwork. There was a lot of splattering, a lot of paint flying, a lot of... And, and some of it is nice, you know. I even like some of it, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. It's not what I wanted to do. Um, and so... Too easy. And so if <laughs> when I was in college, if, if you were in the fine arts department and admitted to uh, liking Norman Rockwell, that was like saying, you know, you hung out with the Klan. Oh, yeah. Because Rockwell was so pushed away. They would say, you don't want to paint like Norman Rockwell. He's so terrible. They tell you how terrible he is. Yeah, old-fashioned. Oh, he was terrible. Just was terrible. He, was yes. he terrible? Is he terrible because he was old-fashioned? I mean, I, 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 who knows what the reasoning was. It just, I have, I yeah. always I always figured it was because the craftsmanship that he had in his work was something they could not even dream of getting to. Uh. But that's another issue. But it's, you know, I love Deep and Corn, and I love Motherwell, and I love Rothko, and I love, you know, some of Picasso's, not all of Picasso's. I mean, I always tell people, just because Picasso did it doesn't mean it's great. Yeah. I mean, he had to have a bad day once in a while. <laughs> we all do. But anyway, so that's where everybody wanted to go, and so I wanted to do illustration. And so when I went to this workshop, I really understood it, and then I found out through that workshop Bob Heindel had worked for a studio in Akron, Ohio, and they were looking to replace the artist who they had that was leaving. So I applied for the job and got the job. And so I went to work for a studio in Akron. So if you're working in Akron and you're doing artwork for clients that are in the Akron area, what are you drawing? Tires. Tires, yeah. So I was doing cars and cars with tires and if there's cars with tires, you know, people drive cars, so you have the cars and the people and the tires, and it's sort of doing all that. And I did that for about two and a half years, and then I went to work for a studio in Chicago that I thought was going to be a move up. And I just didn't like the work that I was doing in Chicago. I found it to be really very static. And that was around the time Paula and I got married, and she got a job offer in Dallas. And I said, take the job. <laughs> We are moving to Get Dallas. Get me out of here. We are moving to Dallas. And so we moved to Dallas, and that was uh, a real a break for me because Texas now, I think, still is. And at that time, I mean, there's this real kind of entrepreneurial spirit about Texans. You know, people in Colorado hate Texans because they're loud on the ski slopes, and they don't like that. But Texans are very entrepreneurial. I mean, you know, Guy makes a billion dollars, he blows it, loses it all. That's okay. I'll make just another million. Again. I'll just do it. And, and so that's that, that's their attitude. They don't cry about it. You know, when New York was in financial trouble, they called the federal government and said, bail us out. When 
Texas got in trouble. They said, we'll figure it out. Yeah, they did. Drill for more oil. There's the Do famous it. story of Lamar Hunt, the owner of now the Kansas City Chiefs, the late right. Lamar Hunt. And he, uh, the, the team was previously in Dallas, the Dallas Texans. And right. He started the American Football League. And uh, they some now this has been disputed since. This is, was accepted for a long time, but now people don't think this is a real quote. But they, uh, someone from the press said, told first Lamar Hunt's father and said, your son lost a million dollars on his football team and football league. What do you think of that? And he goes, well, in a hundred years, we'll be broke. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of like I think they've probably taken that from remember Citizen Kane. Yeah. That's what. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the one thing I did remember supposedly about what Bunker Hunt, you know, the brother, who I guess tried to corner the silver market and apparently lost like a billion, well, I think it was uh, a billion dollars or something to that effect. And he said, well, a billion dollars ain't what it worth what it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> nope. But anyway. So you're in Texas. Yeah. And so I started freelancing there. And as I say, th- that entrepreneurial spirit was incredible because I went and I would show my work to some people. And I'd show it to some artists, and they'd say, yeah, this is pretty good stuff. You ought to go see this guy. You ought to see this person to see this person. I mean, they're giving it the names of people, potential clients. Yeah, I was going to say, not other artists, but, right. yeah, people. And I, because I can remember talking to some artists in Chicago, and I'd say, like, who do you do? And I'm not giving you my clients' names. You're going to steal jobs from me. They're, they're real protective. Or if you show you're doing something technically, and here's what I'm doing. And I'd say, well, here, here's how I did that. And they go, oh, cool. How would you do that? Oh, I'm not going to show you my techniques. You're going to steal my eyes. It was really weird. In Texas, man, how would you do that? Oh, well, here, I did this, did this, did this. No big deal. And down in Dallas at the time, you know, Bart Forbes is, is and still is doing great work down there. Look up Bart Forbes, another one of the great, great artists. Uh, Jack Unruh was alive at the time, and he was great artist, Don Punchatz. These are all really terrific artists doing great, great work, national work. And um, so, you know, I'm thinking, what's keeping them here? Why aren't they moving from Texas up to New York like you're supposed to? Yeah. So there's plenty of good work. You had good agencies down there, Tracy Locke, the Richards Group, which is an award-winning agency down there. And so they had a very vibrant community, and they still do. So I started working, and getting small jobs here, small jobs there, sometimes being called into an advertising agency to do comp work for, you know, promoting ideas to a, a to potential client. And that would cover the bills. Meanwhile, trying to build work, getting jobs here and there. And eventually started, you know, getting some work. And starting with the small local stuff. I always have the line. I mean, everybody talks about the Time Magazine, you know, cover. Okay, you, you know, you, do you want to do the job? Yeah, there's a long line of people who want to do that job. Well, here's a little spot illustration that's going to go in the corner of a newspaper article. They're only going to pay you 200 bucks for it. What's the line for that? Not a very long line for it. Well, I was getting started. I said, do I want to stand in the long line or do I want to stand in the short lines? So I decided, I said, I'm going to stand in the short lines because I'll get the work. And because they're not paying you that much money, they were giving me a lot of creative freedom to experiment and play around with things. And if I were to go through my work, I could show you, you know, where work was and then did and, and the evolution. And that's where the real kind of creative growth of my work came was from those experiences in Dallas. Seeing the artists like Sean Early and uh, Jose Cruz and Steve Peach and those guys. I mean, you're just seeing this incredible creativity. And and so they that creative energy kind of pushes you when you're... And that's the other thing I tell students why you want to select your, your friends well. Because 
if you surround yourself with creative people, it energizes you just naturally. Oh, if, totally. you just, if you're just down here and you're hanging out with the dregs, you know, they just bring you down. But when you're around other people, and like you said, they're the same kind of people I would show my work to, and they'd slam me. And they'd say, what the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah, so, yeah we're and not going to wow. kiss each other's asses. We're here to make, yeah. make good stuff. And it was great, great, great experience. And so then I, it was in Dallas that I got to uh, meet an art director by the name of Fred Woodward. Yeah. And Fred was art directing a magazine called D Magazine. And it's a true story. I mean, I'm showing him my, my work. I make an appointment. I show him my work. I go in my, my portfolio. He stands up there. And, like, I got my magazine here or my book here. And he just flips it. And you get to see... You, We've all had this experience, you know, where somebody's looking at your work and they're just kind of going, no change of face. They're just, and he turns about four or five pages and he, okay, thank you. And you're just like, what just happened? That was it. Give me a sign. What what happened here? So I'm walking back to my car in Texas, about 102 outside, higher than hell. I get to my car and about ready to put my key in to unlock the door. And I went, what the hell just happened there? That was so rude. I'm going to go back and give him a piece of my mind. I want to find out, what what didn't you like about me? You could have at least, so I'm walking back to the door. I'm going to go in. I'm going to talk to that man again. Get me back in there. I'm going to talk to him. And I got right to the door. My hand reached for the door, and I went, wait a minute. I made the appointment, didn't I? I made the appointment. I wanted to go in there. It wasn't his responsibility to tell me what I'm supposed to do to be a good artist. Wait a minute, that's on me. Turned around, went back to my car, got in, drove over, went and met some of my art friends, and I was looking at some of their work, and I remember looking at this piece by Sean Early, who, Sean died way too young. He was just such an amazingly talented and gifted artist. And I looked at his picture, and I said, this picture is telling like a story. There's a real story in this thing. Mine were just pictures, you know, pieces put together, but there really wasn't any communication going on. And I said, I gotta change this. And so I started doing all kinds of things and I was getting, experimenting on my own, trying different things. And for about eight or nine months, I was just doing small little jobs and then on my own, just like you, on my own, I was doing all this other stuff. And I went back to Fred about nine months later and showed him the portfolio and he says, wow, you completely changed. And two weeks later, I got my first job from him and I started doing a lot of work for Fred. Eventually, he went to Texas Monthly, and then eventually ended up at Rolling Stone. Yeah, that's and where that's I know when from. I, yeah, and that's when I started doing work for Fred at Rolling Stone. That's awesome. She followed him all the way up, all the way up the chain. Well, I like to say he was the motorboat. I was on water skis. Yeah. Just don't fall. Just don't fall. I mean, it's... How many artists credit him, though, for their success? Probably a ton, right? Oh, I, I mean, they sure. used... Yeah. But as much as he was a, a huge factor in it, again, like I say, I you know I I got to give so much credit to people like Steve Peach, and that's spelled P I E T Z S C H. Go ahead, do that three times. <laughs> but anyway, but Steve is an amazing artist and wonderful guy, and he was 
like me, oftentimes he was a night owl, so he'd be working all nighters all the time. And so, and the way the deadlines were all the time, that you were, I'd get a job, say, from Texas Monthly when Fred was at Texas Monthly, and he'd call me on a certain day, and the art would have to be in Texas down in Austin. And so, we'd I'd work all night long, get it done, and I'd drive it to the Dallas bus station, turn it off, and they had a thing where you could deliver a package and you give it and they put it on the bus and it would drive it to Austin and somebody in Austin would pick it up at the bus station to deliver it. So wow. that's that's how crazy it was. There's no email, there's no, no there, there was none of that <laughs> stuff. Digital photos. No. Man. So that's on they would so you would send you'd do an original piece of art, send it to them however which way yeah, Pony yeah. Express, bus, UPS, FedEx all night. And then they would take it and what peel it off and put it on a drum scanner? Yeah, back that... in the day, back in the day, they would peel it, and so what I did instead, I would peel it, because there there is a, a skill and not it's not once you learn it, it's easy. Just say mean, how many pieces of art were damaged? Yeah, or like you know, don't you want? Or I don't know, maybe you don't even get the artwork back, but yeah, like these things, you want to hang on your own wall or well, sell when, to somebody? I don't know. When, I, the I, way I would do it was you'd have a board and you just you get that corner lifted off like that. And then you get a mailing tube that was like about a four or five inch diameter mailing tube, hook it onto that, and then just use the mailing tube. And that mailing tube would keep the pressure constant all the way across. You just roll it right off, and it, it was no big deal. It wow. came off easy. But if you try to peel it and just go like this, that's when you mess it up. <laughs> that's, that's when you wreck it. That's nuts. But yeah, we yeah, so I would always deliver the artwork with the board, but it's already been peeled, taped down, so they could then put it on the drum scanner. And then eventually they, they developed the flatbed scanning that alleviated that problem down the line. I was going to say, what was the last piece you had to do that with? I bet you it's, you know, at least two, maybe 2,000, something like that. Yeah. Because I remember the last one, I uh, I sent it to the client, and they didn't, they decided to put, to put it on the drum, and the drum thing tore it up. And they sent it back, it was torn in pieces. Uh, <laughs> man, that's a heartbreaker. Yeah. So tell us about, so, so you're doing one-of-the-kind illustrations for people, which, I don't know, what's that industry doing today? Because, I mean, I know stock illustration is a big thing where people, uh, small companies or whatever, on a budget, they'll just go to Shutterstock or whatever. There's a million different, you know, stock sites. You can type in whatever you want, and someone has already drawn something. Of course, it's nothing you know, like what's in your head, but you're like, you know what, for my budget, this is okay. I'll pay 20 bucks and I have original artwork, so right. they say. But you're, you know, you're, you're in the opposite of that. So, you know, you, you need people with, with big budgets and imaginations and, and all that stuff. So how, how, uh, how, how are you dealing with that? Or is that, is that something that is, is killing the industry? Is that the Amazon well, of, of well, the art I, world? I think what's, what's interesting, I find fascinating is we've almost kind of, because of, some of those factors that you kind of, that you talk about, we've kind of reverted almost back to the days of when I was in Akron. Like I said, if if you're in New York, you're getting a lot of the New York stuff because because of the fact the art now can be digitally sent and it's even faster. Back when I was doing those time covers, I'd take the artwork at two o'clock in the morning down to the airport. They'd fly it to New York and then somebody would take it and then. I had one job I did that ended up they used a Tim O'Brien cover because my piece was circling LaGuardia in a <laughs> snowstorm and they sent it back. Oh, so geez. mine didn't run. They ran Tim's. But, you know, <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah. yeah. 
So that, that stuff happens. If you're in that region, it's a lot easier. But I've found at least now, it, the other thing too, is you have to understand, I'm a, I'm a good deal older than I was back then. And so I, I don't want to do all-nighters anymore. I mean, I've received calls for jobs and I just say no to them because I don't want to stay up. I Staying up all night, I'm afraid, you know, I don't want to die at the board. So I just, I just don't do it. Uh, so I've kind of worked myself where I'm focusing more on doing the children's book art that I'm doing because the deadlines are longer. It's much easier to manage. I am also, I've been teaching for a number of years. I'm now the director of the MFA program in illustration at the Hartford Art School. So I'm doing that, and that takes a fair amount of my time. Wow. So you're living up there? For... No, I live here, and so I travel. We're gonna we're getting ready to take a group of our students out to San Francisco. We're going to have you know, some studio tours, and we're going to have some of the best artists in the San Francisco area, Oakland area, you know, talk to our students. And then they have their assignments. And so like this morning before I came down here, I was on the computer reviewing somebody's work and writing things up and making – that's about where I only – do anything on the computer is I'll take that person's artwork, throw it on the computer, get it in the mode, kick it into grayscale, because usually that's where they run into problems is their gray is their value structure. But anyway, make some changes to it, send it back to them, and then communicate that way. We, I go up to Hartford in the summer when we have our two weeks of classes that we have. The rest of it is you know through computer we don't do, oh that's it's, great it's not like an online class it's it's it is a graduate school and so they have their assignments they're working on and they'll send me stuff but for the most part it is we do our classroom work here we do our work here we do our work there and then they're on their own they're working through things and they'll send me their layouts maybe or they have their writing their papers that they're working on they'll send me their papers I'm doing a lot more reading of the papers and you know grading those and correcting spelling and grammar and things like that which probably has my English teacher spinning in her grave <laughs> realizing that I'm doing that but but you know it's the, the and I you know I, I used to teach up at CCAD up in Columbus Ohio and I did that for nearly 20 years and I took this job only because this is the only other place I would go Murray Tinkleman, who started the program, who was a real visionary, understood that for most illustrators, if they want to earn an MFA, they have their business. They may be living in Sacramento. They may be living in Detroit. Now, wait a minute. I've got to uproot the family or uproot my business, move to Hartford for two and a half years to get my MFA. That's not happening. Yeah. But he developed what's called low residency. So that person can live in Detroit or Sacramento or wherever they are. They can earn their degree still living there, and they just have four weeks of travel over the course of one year each year. And they do That's the, awesome. And they do the classroom work that they do, and then the assignments over the course, and they do their thesis body of work and their thesis defense and their papers. They can earn their MFA. It's easier for everybody. Yeah, and work with one of the top illustrators. You know, well, and they can... well, you have me, but you know, I'm not in the classroom as much now. I mean, you you talk about top artists. I mean, you're the second year you're you're studying with Gary Kelly, you're studying with Robert Hunt, you're studying with uh, wow. Nancy Stahl, you're studying with Von Glitchka, uh, Lisa Sear. I mean, you're you know Alice Bunny Carter. I mean, she ran the San Jose Illustration Department out there at San Jose State for many many years. I mean, she's she's forgotten more about illustration than most people know. 
And, you know, so the program is really structured around the talents of those folks. And then, like I said, when we go to New York, we go, we have, we've had lectures with Peter DeSev, uh, Idel Rodriguez, Rudy Gutierrez. Man, I got to do some Googling when I get home. Yuko Shadira. <laughs> you know, I mean, we get... Brad Holland. I haven't had Brad. I haven't had Brad, Brad but uh, we, when we go out to San Francisco, we're, we have great artists out there. And they have great artists out there. And so when, when we're out in Pasadena, we go out there. We were up in Columbus. We had a fellow guy when we were in Columbus who came to us from Who's an Art Academy grad. Whoa. Chris Sickles. Remember Chris? Oh, right on, yeah. Yeah, Red Nose Studios. Yeah, Chris. he's doing the puppets and the yeah. animation and oh, stuff. It's, Chris is great. I mean, his his work is just brilliant. brilliant yeah. Stuff. There is a pretty good local scene. Um I mean, I remember, yeah, the days of City Beat, you know, they'd use different artists and whatnot. And like, oh, yeah, I know that guy, I know that guy. Yeah. Um, so tell us about the Society of Illustrators, because that, uh, that was a big thing. You were always a fan of that. And then all of a sudden, what, last year you are nominated to the Hall of Fame or inducted into the... Well, they put me in the Hall of Fame, I think. I don't know what happened. I... I... <laughs> I'm, no. I'm, I have uh -oh. I sit there, no no I just I just sit there I go I'm, what Hall of Fame I, I what the what is this I mean because I have visions in my head I can think of about a handful of artists who are going what he's in the Hall of Fame <laughs> next year they'll put the Frito Bandito in there <laughs> and, or Charlie the Tuna but no I uh, look, I mean I'm I'm it was it's a great honor it's a great honor I mean I'm not as active in society as I used to be because I don't do the work that I used to do so I don't enter the shows like I used to but you know because um, I'm focused in other areas but it's you know to, to have your name associated and the class that I went in with give me a break I mean I don't know if you saw the class I mean you no. had Robert Crumb okay what 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 associate my name with Robert Crumb in any way not you know give me a break I think I know, you know Jim, Bob Crumb. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, uh, you had uh, Jim McMullen. I mean, it was just, it was an amazing class. And so that that was something there to, to have that happen. That's so, awesome. That always had to have been a dream of yours, right? I mean. Well, you, you don't, I, I don't know anybody. Well, I don't know, maybe there are people. But I've always said that. I just try to focus on doing the good work, that as good a work I can for the client that I'm doing. And if I stay focused on that and not worry about this stuff, I mean, I've been blessed to have awards at Society of Illustrators, but I don't think I have ever entered a piece saying, this is a gold medal piece or this is this. I, I haven't. Because you, you, you'll, you'll always get whacked. I mean, I did the, the cover of, of uh, Time Magazine with Barack Obama, and I remember talking with uh, the art director, and he said that when my piece came in, his associate art director, she cried when she saw it. She thought it was so good. So I said, well, okay, I, that ought to get in. You know, It didn't even get in. Maybe she needs therapy. It didn't even get in. I, yeah, I have no idea. But the point is, it didn't even get in. And so I, was, I called uh, Arthur Hochstein, who was the art director. I said, Arthur, it didn't even get in. And he goes, he goes, I don't know. And I don't know. So is it like the Oscars where, you know, you're sitting, waiting for that call in the morning. They're like, oh, society uh, no, nominations are coming out today. No, yeah. It was just all of a sudden I'm working. All Dennis Dietrich calls me and says, Chris, just want to let you know. And I went, what? Man. And I was like, going, wow. So we went up there. Uh, Paul and I got to go up there. My my one son got to go. Evan couldn't go because he just started with his new job out in Kansas City, and so he couldn't get away. And uh, 
my buddy Craig, you, you remember Craig McKay? Mm-hmm. Craig and his wife came up. And another friend of mine, he was living in Florida, he's a very good friend. He was supposed to come up, but all of a sudden he had this bulging disc thing in his neck that all of a sudden flared up on him. Just, we just shut it down, just couldn't do it. And so we went to New York and got to go to the thing, and it was it was a great night. It was a great night, but uh, it certainly wasn't expected, that's for sure. You don't expect things like that. So they give you and a you yellow know, jacket or a you, bust or any... They give, uh, you, they give you this nice plaque, you know, a nice plaque that you get. And so, yeah. And so that was... So it's sitting on a bookshelf. So they can't go. take it away. They can't take it away. They, It's one of those deals. I mean, there might be people who say, well, maybe, maybe we can rethink this, but... <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think they can. So it's there. That's awesome. When was the society started? I mean, we're talking. I mean, Norman Rockwell's in it, right? Oh yeah, or well, he was only... the first. He was the first. Okay, he kind of got the no, ball rolling. Yeah. I think it was. I think it was around 1959 because I think that's the first year of the annual was 59. Okay, jeez. I mean, society goes back to like 1904. I think something like that. I mean, back in the day, this is when you had guys like Charles Dana Gibson. Who were who were members of the? I mean, there, yeah. there used to be this famous picture uh, in the men's room of this dinner, and it was like at this big gala ballroom type of thing in New York, and they were honoring Charles Dana Gibson. And way back in the corner, you see, just it was a very young Norman Rockwell. And uh, one year I go into the bathroom, it's gone. I'm going, what happened to the picture? They said somebody lifted it, somebody stole it. Man, somebody stole a picture out of the bathroom. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That shows you. Is it open you... to the public? Can anybody uh, just go in there? Well, anybody can go in, but not anybody can go upstairs to the dining room. That that's anybody can go. As a matter of fact, they encourage people coming in to look at the art. One thing that they have been doing, I think, has been smart. Is you know, when I was chairman of the museum committee, the one thing I was trying to do was uh, not have as many shows about an individual artist. In other words. You know, I love Gary Kelly's work. I think Gary Kelly's brilliant. He's won more awards at society than anybody. But if I walk down the street and say, let's go see the show of Gary Kelly, most people go, who's he? But if I say there's an art there's an art exhibition of the art of Sports Illustrated or the art of Mad Magazine or the art of the New York Times, people go, oh, that's cool. They're familiar with it. And by having them see that work, then they have a better understanding of what illustration is. Yeah. Because I... I've given talks recently around here uh, locally when I say, if you notice, you know, Cincinnati Art Museum has Norman Rockwell in its collection, but it's never been shown to my knowledge. It sits in a basement. What's up with that? Like a full-size? It's, it's, it's not a painting. Five it's, a, it's, a big char- it's a big charcoal drawing of, of um, Bob Cratchit with Tiny Tim on his shoulder. And I think it was originally in the collection of Mary Maciel, who was a very famous medical illustrator here in Cincinnati. Huh. Um, anyway, but yeah, it's it's an illustration. It's an illustration. And I mean, Columbus had a fairly decent collection, and they sold a bunch of theirs. And so, and of course, now the wow. thing is, Rockwell's artwork now has really gone through the ceiling. I mean, they had that one piece, uh, saying Grace, sold for forty-six, forty-eight million dollars about five years ago. Wow, five, six years ago. So his artwork now is really generating some real money. But, but the thing is, it's just, it's just the perception. So as I say, most people understand and they know what fine art is. They walk into the museums and they'll see it. They get to see. 
most people understand Van Gogh and they understand Rembrandt. They get that. And maybe sometimes they get a little bit squirrely when they look at some of the abstract expressionists or the Ad Reinhardt black-on-black painting or something like that, which is fine. It's an important part of art. It should be there. It should be celebrated because art is about, you know, altering our experiences in some ways. But illustration has an amazingly rich history going all the way back to, you know, print, you know, the early, early stuff. Yeah, it's functional. And, and to me, <laughs> it has a purpose. well, not only that, but it's, it really is a mirror to the culture at the time. So when you look at James Gilray's drawings that he was doing at the time of, you know, the founding of this country, and he was over in England, and you're seeing his King George drawings, and they're political humor pieces, or his illustrations of gout, you know, did the illustrating gout, you know, had this guy's foot all swell, like this little monster eating his foot, you know, or a picture of a this guy with a migraine headache with these little demons drilling into his skull. You know, it, it was like a, but it was like a contemporary mirror to the culture, so you have an understanding of what people were doing, what people were thinking, how they dressed, with all that stuff. And so when you look at a Norman Rockwell, you, you get a sense of the culture. Oh, yeah. I mean, he... He worked heavily from photos, you know, so those people were wearing they those all clothes. Did. And they all did. I actually give you a lot of this part. This is, goes back to what I was talking about. I mean, I now have an entire slide program where it's about illustr- artists and their reference. And it's like t- right now over 200 slides. I mean, this goes all the way back to Jerome. I got a picture of a Jerome painting and a photograph that he did, you know, uh, Mucha. Most people know Alphonse Mucha. Looks like Mucha, Mucha. You know, you look him up. Alphonse Mucha f- photography. Look it up. You'll see it. Frank Brangwen photography. You'll see it. You'll see his amazing paintings, and there's his photo reference. You know, it's it's incredible. It's color by numbers. About the only guy that I can think of who didn't work from photography was Leindecker. But Leindecker was getting paid so much money back in the day. He painted from models. He just had models. And the main model was his, was his 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 partner through life. Wow! And he painted that guy for forever, you know. But they always use models, even going all the way back. I mean, you've seen that where they've talked about Vermeer and the camera obscura, uh, where Vermeer did that. You know, when Jericho uh, painted the Raft of the Medusa, uh, Eugene Delacroix modeled for him. He modeled for some of the figures. Jeez. So they all craftsmen. Yeah, for sure. So what do you what do you think about uh, contemporary artists like uh, say Banksy? It's it's don't care. I, I don't worry about it. It's okay. I mean, it's they're they're doing what they do. I what but I then you just then you laugh your ass off when he did the uh, the well yeah shredded the the, the painting yeah, with the gavel bag. But, but I mean it, it <laughs> but it, there is an element to it that that unfortunately smacks of charlatanism that that kind of go what's is this really what we're doing here and it is a little bit frustrating at times for people who are seriously trying to do things and and have their artwork have meaning and value to it and and yet again and but there's a difference between banksy and a a person who takes a dump in the middle of a gallery and people sit there and critique it for three days right well and (laughs) <laughs> Here, here's and I really I I'm gonna try to say this in a way, and I'm hoping people can believe me. I'm not complaining. It's what I'm just simply saying. This is the way it is. 
This is what I was talking about Rockwell. He's not there. But there was a period of time when I was asked to do the piece that you know of the Barack Obama cover. That was a sign for the Man of the Year cover originally. So they called me and asked me to do the piece. Now again, Barack Obama is the first African American elected to be President of the United States in November. When did I get the call to do the artwork from Time Magazine for Man of the Year? I mean, who else was going to be Man of the Year that year? Right? Yeah. Who? Tom Cruise? Give me a break. Give me a come on. He had a good no. year. <laughs> but so they 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 called me like on a Thursday and the art had to be in New York on Friday or on Monday. So I only had the weekend to do that. Wow. So I did that thing, I cranked it out, I got it to them, they got it. Like I said, I get told the art director, the, the associate art director cried, and everything was great. I thought, okay, good. I don't hear anything, don't hear anything, don't hear anything, don't hear anything. Finally, I called. I said, I couldn't wait any longer. I called. I said, did I get it? He says, no. We went with the uh, Shepherd Fairy piece because he did the Hope poster. So oh. We that. oh, that's right. So I called my wife and said, you know, and got she, beat she, by a street artist. So she yeah, got beat by <laughs> Shepard Fairey, and she said she was not happy with it. But they called me later. She's like, they, let me call them up and yeah, give them yeah, a piece well, of my mind. So anyway, <laughs> she didn't do that, but it was just she wasn't happy, and I wasn't, I wasn't happy. But anyway, it's the way it went. And so then my piece ended up running on the inaugural cover, which is great. It's a great honor. And so oh, there you go. Really, yeah, so it got used. But interesting, shortly thereafter, what? The Contemporary Arts Center here in Cincinnati had a huge... Shepherd Fairy Art Show, right? Yeah. Right? So they got a show of his work. Oh, they wouldn't be calling Chris Payne up, would they? Oh, I, I've said before, they wouldn't piss on me if I was on fire. <laughs> now, did you get to do any of those bogus Trump covers? Because that's probably a better no. thing. No. Okay. <laughs> you accept it. This is the world you operate in. If you think you're going to get that type of thing, you're not. And so, but it's okay. I just got done with the children's book. I'm very happy with the client. I They should be receiving it today, so I'll find out if they're happy with it. Awesome. I'm working on another job right now. I'm doing my teaching. I'm doing my sketchbooks, working on an idea for a book that I want to get published. So, you you're know what? I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm doing my work. I'm, um, Heck yeah. So I, you, you've, uh, uh, the subjects of your illustrations over the years have been celebrities. Um, we're all about name dropping on this podcast, and we've dropped about 200 illustrators that no one's heard of so far. But you all, all need to Google. Um, tell, us, tell us a couple celebrity stories as far as, like, has anyone liked your artwork, not liked it? Uh, any, has, any, has anyone bought your artwork? I know you well, did a children's book with John Lithgow. Did two, two books with John Lithgow, who was a really very nice man, great guy. So it's Farkle. Um, I mean, I spoke with him a few times and had dinner with him once, breakfast with him once, and he was very gracious. I remember at our dinner, some guy came up to the table and started telling us this elaborate kind of terrible story about his daughter and her. And, he, and you're like, this is every great. meal for this guy. And 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 you know, he said that. And the the you know, Mater D of the restaurant came over and kind of carded him away. He came over. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he was like, don't worry, it's okay. Don't worry. He no no problems. He was very nice, very gracious, and he's a very interesting guy and very nice. Um, worked on a children's book with Steve Martin, but only communicated with him with emails. And I'd write him a long email explaining what was going on. He'd write back. Fine. Looks cool. <laughs> it was always fine. Okay. I think I think four. I think I got four characters most out of him. But he was fine. He's he, a busy guy. Yeah. Uh, but you know, he's a huge art collector. He's yeah. Very yeah. much. But he's much more into the fine art art. He's more much more to the fine art side of things. Which is fine. 
but he was great. Um, you know, I did find out, you know, I do know that, you know, the portrait that I, or the piece I did for Time Magazine of Newt on the cover, Newt's still pissed off at that. He is still <laughs> pissed off. Really? Wow. Well, it was the, it, it was the well, it was the time cover of him as as Uncle Sam, kind of we more more of Uncle Sam and Scrooge together, <laughs> and it was right before Christmas, yeah, and, he's, and he's snapping Tiny. My idea was to have him snapping Tiny Tim's crotch. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Old Uncle curmudgeon Scrooge. Uncle, Uncle Scrooge. There you go. And and so I did that, and he's still mad at me, you know. And look, I'm far pro- I'm far more conservative than I am liberal and stuff. But to me, politicians are, you know, I'm I'm much more of a misanthrope than I am anything, <laughs> because I mean, he's a politician, and and they all have egos the size of a battleship. I mean, yeah, to me, that's sure. just that's just. You think if anybody would be used to being made fun of, it'd be a politician. The interesting thing was, I did a piece years ago. Uh, is the piece that really kind of jump-started a lot of it. Fred, when he was at a little magazine bef- in between Texas Monthly and Rolling Stone, called Regardies. And it was a portrait of Nancy Reagan as Henry VIII, with Donald Reagan's head being served to her on a platter. Okay, I remember that. And so I did that piece, and I got a phone call from Colleen Moore. Not a big name to you guys, but in the day, Colleen Moore was a huge movie star of the silent era, kind of in the Clara Bow era with the with the bob haircut. And she later on, after her film career, became a very successful businesswoman and apparently, you know, was still out there in L.A. and was friends with Nancy Reagan. And she called me asking to buy the original because she wanted to give it to Nancy because she thought Nancy would just howl. She thought <laughs> Nancy would laugh and think it was so funny. So here was this piece that was obviously being kind of a, a, a little dig. And again, I don't think any of my political stuff has done what I... I don't, I don't do what I call mean-spirited artwork. Yeah, I mean it's they're all digs to me because it's to me it's spitballs at battleships. I I get kind of I get a little bit bored with people who want to stick swastikas <laughs> on people they don't like, or you know KKK hoods on people they don't. Like. Yeah, it's 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 boring and. We put a dunce cap on uh, Matt Bevan last we week. We did, but yeah, but that was see, easy. yeah, but that, that that's <laughs> a dunce cap is is fine. It's to me that's a dig. I mean, you know. To me, like, Nazis really do have their special place in hell. And so you don't take those symbols and just arbitrarily stick them on people that you disagree with. Yeah. It's just crazy to do that. But people do it all the time. And you can have fun with uh, people and making digs at them. But that's where the creativity comes. And I, I find putting, you know... Like I say, KKK hoods and swastikas on people. I find that lazy. Yeah, that's, that's just lazy. That's the easy way out. And that was a that's fun awesome. piece. So Nancy, get it? Did you hear? No, no. Uh, what I, I told her, I I told them I had sold it. I had sold it to the publisher. Oh, okay. And so I got a print of it and sent it to her, and then never heard back from her, which was fine because uh, I think what I think she died about two months. Two three months later, because oh. she was like ninety four years old, she was a much older person at the time. But, wow! But it was neat to get a phone call from Colleen Moore. Yeah, <laughs> that was cool. That's awesome. Didn't you have a run in with Howard Stern? Or did nope. he say he 
didn't like your stuff or something? I don't know. I didn't hear that. Uh, you know, I did the piece of David Letterman for the cover and never heard back whether he liked it personally, but I, there, there was a person I know who was related to him. And I was speaking to the person and said, did he like it? Do you know if he liked it? And they said, it doesn't matter whether he liked it or doesn't like it. The only thing that matters is if his mother liked it or didn't like it. Uh, and so that I don't know. Where his interns are. Yeah, I don't I, I, Yeah, so I don't know whether he liked it. Hmm. That's awesome. Well, everybody needs to check out uh, CF Payne on Instagram. You're a great follow on uh, on social media. Which is crazy because you know, as we started the conversation, you're not uh, y- you weren't you weren't in with the technology and the interwebs back in the day, but you've you've adapted over the years. Well, I mean, part of it was with the teaching. You know, you you understand this is part of the, the world the students have to occupy, but it's a it's an important thing. You know, one of my great friends I mentioned him earlier, Jack Unruh, who, who was a great artist and a great talent, and just the nicest man in the world. I mean, I loved him dearly. And I remember we were talking about teaching, and he was telling me, um, there were two stories uh, about it. He, we were talking about the young artist came to show him his portfolio, and he was talking about being brutally honest or whatever. He said the kid showed him his portfolio and looked at him, so he says, so Mr. Hunter, how do I get started in the business? And he's a good old kind of Texas boy. He says, shit, yeah. I'm 80 years old. I don't know how to get started in the business. Because <laughs> the world has changed so dramatically from when I got started in the business. So I don't know how you get started in the business. The first thing you got to do, though, son, is the first thing you got to do is you got to get good. And right now you're not very good. You got to get good. And that was like my first epiphany. So with all the students, with all of them, they want to do, I want to do social media. I want to do this. I want to get on Pinterest. I want to get on Tumblr. I want to do this. I want to tumble this. I want to pin that. All yeah. that stuff. And I'd say, guys, before you start doing that, we got to remember to Jack under Epiphany. You got to get good. So I'm telling Jack this story. And I said, yeah. He says, yeah, because if you don't, if you're going to go put stuff on Pinterest and Tumblr and Instagram and you're not very good, you're just advertising your own demise. Yeah. So there's rule number two. For, I mean, Jack could just put things down in like one sentence and just nail it just right. And he's right. You got to get good. And you've got to get good before you start sticking it on, because otherwise you're just promoting your own demise. Heck yeah. I'm looking at almost 20,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah. C. Fox Payne, yeah, P-A-Y-N-E look, look on up, Instagram. Look up like James Gurney or somebody like that. James got probably about 65,000 or more than that. I mean, some of these guys, they just got Googled. I mean, they're just, they got the whole world after them. Yeah. But, but I, look, most of my subject matter I just take on. I just have fun with it. You know, I started posting at the time. Uh, my son, Trevor, was the one, Dad, you got to do this. You got to do this. So I said, Okay, well, what I'm going to do is you do these drawings every day. You have your mounds of sketchbooks. Yeah, so you'd be doing this regardless. You're not, this isn't just your little Instagram no. project. This no, is just, I, hey, here's what I'm doing. It all around the time, it was around the time of one of the playoffs, and, and it was the Kansas City, when Kansas City was in the playoff for Royals. And I have a buddy of mine who's a great artist, Jim Bennett, James Bennett, great, great artist. Oh yeah. Anyway, on Jim, Facebook. I knew I knew James would would James would be posting contemporary players. So if the if the Royals are playing, he'll post Kevin Mustakis or somebody like that. So I'm thinking, okay, that's his little world. I'll let him have that. Yeah. So I go, I'm I'm getting the old guys. Frank White, Steve Balboni, you know, Freddie Potek, George Brett, 
you know, Brett Saberhagen, people like that. Because I'm much more into the history of baseball. I like old timers. That's you know that was getting ready for spring training. I love the dead ball era, just the uniforms yeah. that they wore, just the uniforms and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So just Google celebrity birthdays and yeah, and then I started the then, and then and then then there there go Tinker's Devers to Chance. So then after the playoffs, and then I started doing some football thing, and then I said what else, and then I started doing birthdays. So I started posting birthdays. Now, you know, I'm coming up with some other ideas and, you know, doing some composers. I've done that. I've, I, that was last year when uh, TCM was doing, uh, what's it, 31 Days of Oscar. So that's Lou Ayers from All Quiet on the Western Front. Okay. A little scene from that. That was from a book. Yeah, I was going to say that was back in the day. That's one of the Reader's Digests. I, I remember the story supposedly about Rockwell. This is long after he's like, a celebrity with his art. He's he is so big, and some writer wanted to go interview him, and he had scheduled a time to be there. And he showed he got lost because he was living in a little Stockbridge, Mass, and he got lost on the country roads. Shows up like an hour late, hour and a half, two hours, and he says, "I'm ready." He says, "Well, we can still do it, but I got to get to class, you know, so we can do it in class." He says, class? What class? He goes, "I'm going to my drawing class." Mr. Norman Rockwell, you got to go to a drawing class. Rockwell says you never draw good enough. You just always keep going. Mark, yes. Mark English, you still. When I go to the workshop, Mark is right there in drawing class with us, drawing the figure mo- and drawing the model. Still doing it every day. You know? Is that pressure? He might lose it. It's just you just want to do it. It's yeah. just it's you want to do it. I mean, did you ever take breaks? Did you ever say, "Dang it, I need a month off, and I'm not going to pick up a pencil"? No. I mean, I I usually take a sketchbook with me when I be going on vacation to travel. We travel, I'll take a sketchbook. I didn't draw that much because I didn't see anything that I really wanted to draw. But I drew other things. I I still drew. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I just I just love. See, look at those uniforms. Yeah. And the personality of these players back in the day. And every now and then I'll do that. I'll post kind of a, a process thing so they can kind of get a sense of how I go about doing it. Because these sketchbook things, the way I do them nowadays, they are different. In the sense that, you know, and this is, because they're all just done in the sketchbook. And they're just, just whacked out. And, and you just spend some time. And the one fun thing about doing a sketchbook, I just saw this young person I've been talking with uh, who's been considering going to our school. And we talk sketchbooks. And I just saw some of his sketchbooks. And it's just like he's really taken to it where... Because to me, okay, you do a drawing here, you don't like it, oh, gee, I messed it up. Okay, fine. There's another piece of paper. Do it again. If you go through my sketchbook, you'll see pages where, you know, I've got something finished, other pages where I didn't finish it, you know, and I didn't complete it because I didn't like it, you know, uh, and so you move on. I, I, bet you it must so taken, cool. I bet you it must have taken me five or six times to get Howie Morris right. Ernest T. Bass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just getting Ernest T. right. And and so, there you go. See, see, there's one that's not finished. You know, I said, okay, give, get, let it go. Move on. You know, <laughs> and it's just another page. That one's a lost cause. You know, and then there's, but you see, and it's on a piece of paper, and you do this stuff, and look at how you can brutalize it. I mean, that's paint on there. Yeah, it sucks up that paint knife. pretty well. I mean, you can, you can run your hands across, you can feel the texture, look at a palette knife, how thick that paint is on there. 
Oh, man. So why Ernest T. Bass? You're just watching a rerun of Andy Griffith? Well, I mean, er, how come on Ernest T. It was, it was his, you know, I looked up and I saw Howard Morris' birthday. And I said, oh, man, oh okay. How, okay. Yeah, there yeah. you go, man. Howie Morris. That's one I just did. See, feel that, too. So, see, I just, I'm, I'll finish this up, but if you could, but feel that texture. Yeah. I roll the, I roll the paint down, and then I can draw back on top of that with pencils, and man, it just pops. It just pops. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's almost like a whole other style you developed here. Yeah, it's just, and it's all through just the freedom to experiment. And that's one of the things I, with our program, uh, we have a class that's about techniques and mediums and trying to get students to understand that, you know, feeling the freedom to experiment and realize. Another guy I taught with up in, uh, in Columbus, Mark Hazelrig, great teacher, he had a great line. He said, the only one taking a risk in your art is the paper. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no risk. I mean, you're not riding a Brahma bull. You're not trying to let a land a jet on an aircraft carrier at night. You know, you just, it's just a piece of paper. It's and just a piece of paper and a pencil. Yeah. And a lifetime drawing. <laughs> but with some luck, you do get better. And that's the idea. You want to just get oh, there better. There you go. A little clockwork orange action. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Well, yeah, I don't know if many people know, but uh, you're the artist behind our Icky Woods. Oh, yeah. Every day I'm shuffling uh, shirt. Absolutely. We got to get you back in the game. So you've worked with Cincy Shirts and Rolling Stone and Time Magazine. <laughs> oh, like I said, we got to do some more red stuff. There's no doubt about that, especially with 1919 Championship, you know. I don't know if you read much about it. It's it, that's a fascinating story. There was a great book by I think it was one of Ed Roush's granddaughters or relative did about the uh, 1919 series. That was a great book. You know, had great great players. And Ed Roush. I mean, they always said, you know, because everybody was saying, oh, it was obvious that the White Sox because the Reds won. They said they were the clear favorites. Ed Roush said, baloney, man. We were a better team no matter what. They 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 took nothing from us, man. We. We earned it. We won that outright. We would have won it no matter what. Yeah. Ed Roush was absolutely defiant on that. Absolutely. You know, you hear about the big red machine these days. So, uh, yeah, they do need to give those guys some props. No doubt. Well, cool. Well, let's see. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to many episodes, but at the end of every episode, we like to ask the guest to uh, throw out a word. And this word will be used as a uh, promo code on our website where people can go to Cincy Shirts or come into our stores uh, and they can save 20% on their entire purchase. Nice little uh, trick that we do here. So, yeah, so is there any, any word, any, uh, any, anything you would like for, uh, for your promo code to be? Well, we should. It needs to be baseball-related, don't you think? I reckon. Don't you think? How about Knuckles? Knuckles. All right, cool. There you go. Promo code Knuckles will save you 20% until the next episode comes out. Or just come in our store and yell Knuckles and look at the uh, uh, Cincy Shirts employee, and uh, they'll probably be looking at you like they don't know what's going on. But anyway... <laughs> Awesome. So follow C uh, C Fox Payne on Instagram and Chris Payne on Facebook. All that good stuff. Uh, so yeah, thanks so much for coming in. It's uh, always a pleasure, Dan. Good yeah. to see you, man. Good yeah, to see you for sure. I this love is to fun. see how this shop has been growing and growing, and the stuff. I love coming in here because you know I got friends of mine all over the country, and you know 
anytime it's like birthday gift time, Christmas gift time, this is where I come. Now that my son's in Kansas City, he's I've got to always get the latest, you know, FC Cincinnati thing because man, he is so into it. Yeah, he's got he's got the glasses, he's got the shirts. You know, we just keep him up on that. Oh, like awesome! I, said, I got my buddy. We'll pump him full of merch and the Getta. Yeah, and the Getta. You got the Getta shower uh, soap. You said oh, you're a big oh, fan of. Absolutely, I got that. <laughs> and I sent it to all my buddies. I sent it to all my friends. Absolutely, that's awesome. We appreciate it, people. People like what we're doing, so I guess we'll keep doing it until they tell us to stop. That's the way to go, man. <laughs> but thanks so much. Thank you. Draw me a picture of your dream, the one that I have never seen, the one you wouldn't show me, the one that I have no idea what to make of. CF Payne. I was surprised to see all the stuff that he's done over the years. Google CF Payne, hit the Images tab there, and you'll be amazed as well. There's so much stuff. As always, I invite you to go back through the Cincy Shirts podcast archives and uh, plunder those. Lots of great episodes there. Matt Bischoff from Survivor, Gold Star CEO Roger David talking about Chili. Bill Donabedian, the guy that founded Bunbury Music Festival, uh, talking about that and uh, how they book bands and all that fun stuff. Greg Hamilton from WWE. All kinds of great episodes back there. Uh, just go right back there. Just listen to them in order. Why not? And uh, let me see. Uh, if there's anyone you'd like to hear on the podcast, drop us an email. Info at Cincy Shirts and put podcast guest in the subject line so we know where to direct that. Uh, that'll probably come to me. Be sure to tell your friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the Tri-State. Today's show was produced by me with all from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. You can find their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vintage tees from great places like Philadelphia, Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. We have a lot of defunct teams, old shopping centers, restaurants, radio stations, like Cincy Shirts, but for those towns. And in case you missed it, the promo code for this episode is Knuckles. So that's uh, uppercase, lowercase, doesn't matter. Either way works. You can even mix upper and lowercase. I think it'll still work. Use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order, or you can use the code in our physical, or as we say, brick and mortar stores and over the Rhine, Hyde Park, and Loveland. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show again. Give us a review wherever you get your podcast. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye.